right down the middle of the lane from the top of the circle is Turner, and he thunders it down with two hands. It's Monday, October 23rd, and welcome into a Sideline Guys podcast where for the first time in about six months we have basketball games that counted and have happened and ones that we can talk about three games into the Pacers season, Indiana, one and two on the year. I'm Pat Boylan, Pacers radio host and sideline reporter. Jeremiah Johnson, TV host and sideline reporter, joins us. It's also the first podcast of the year where you are on location coming to us from Minneapolis, and you always get to find different uh, interesting locations to do this podcast from, so I'm curious where location number one might be. I'm not sure it falls under the category of interesting, but I'm in a (laughs) McDonald's. I actually went with the team over to their practice, and they're practicing on this Monday at the Minnesota Golden Gophers practice facility, and they were in the middle of a film session, and then they'll be practicing. I didn't want to uh, do my podcast. I didn't think that they needed my commentary while they were having a film session, either or stretching, so I thought I'd get out of the building a little bit, and uh, every every room I looked to walk into, it seemed like a Golden Gopher athlete was having a tutor session or something was going on, so I just walked across the street, and <laughs> I'm here in a McDonald's, and now I'm getting a couple people looking and nodding in approval, so uh, we'll have a... <laughs> <laughs> a lot a live studio audience for this one yeah, it's it's uh it's not sponsored it's not any of that but if you don't think uh, we're dedicated to the podcast or at least you're dedicated to the podcast uh live from a mcdonald just it's gotta be a new one yeah well we are open to sponsorship so we if anyone in indianapolis wants to host us for our on location podcast uh, i know the uh, pacers sales and marketing staff would be glad to get in touch uh, reach out to us first so we can be the uh, middlemen maybe and get a cut of it <laughs> at JJFS Indiana at Pat Boylan Pacers if you want this show to come from your location and if it's a chain Jeremiah can just hit up the chain uh, wherever he is on the road which is Minneapolis the Pacers taking on the Timberwolves tomorrow we'll get into Pacers future games coming up in a moment but we've waited so long to talk about games that matter let's look at these first three three pretty different games a nice quality win against Brooklyn where the Pacers put up the most points they'd scored in about seven years Winning that one 140 to 131. Then on Friday night, Portland getting the better of Indiana, an 18 point win. Saturday, a back to back where um, we chronicled this on different levels of media. And I know the team won't want to use it as an excuse, but um, it didn't get into Miami until about 5 o'clock in the morning on a back to back. And Pacers falling down by 20 points in that one, come back and give themselves a chance at the end before losing 112 108. Small sample size, just three games. They were all very different. Any significant takeaways for you? You know, it was interesting because when I prepared for Saturday's game, I noted how different the first game was compared to the second when you look at the game against the Nets and then the Trailblazers. And I I thought that the Portland game had a chance to be a much faster-paced game than it ended up being, given the fact that Portland had not been known to be a great defensive team, and they maybe wanted to get out and run as well. But that game was a much slower game and, um, you know, obviously not as successful game for the Pacers. And then Saturday night was maybe a little bit in between and maybe – a little bit of what we can expect more um, from this team this season. Final score, 112-108. The Pacers actually held their own in the rebounding margin, 45-45, but it is interesting that neither team had their centers. So it was no Hassan Whiteside, no Miles Turner. And I think the takeaway from the first week is you've seen signs, you've heard about this team playing hard and and giving 100% effort and, and never giving up and Uh, That will be something that maybe will go without saying as this season goes along, but it was worth noting the way they, in the fourth quarter against Miami, rallied considering the circumstances 
considering the second half of the back-to-back. Miami was a well-rested team in that game. They were playing their home opener. Um, So I think that fourth quarter is reason for optimism moving forward. And you have to remember, two of the first three games this season, the Pacers have played without Miles Turner. And every team around the league has had injuries. But the way this roster is currently constructed and the way the Pacers are built right now, they are not built to really play significant stretches of the season without their star player. You know, even last year, you played that game against Oklahoma City without Paul George and without C.J. Miles, but they still had maybe some more go-to type of scorers on that team, and they had Miles Turner and, and you know, Jeff Teague in that game. So uh, I don't think this is a team that can go long stretches without Miles Turner. We will have to wait and see when he is available to play again. But uh, all things considered, I think you get the one win. You knew the schedule was going to be tough on the opening week, and really the opening two or three weeks is, is very difficult, and you just got to tread water, I think, a little bit while you're learning and adjusting. It is extremely difficult. The Pacers, Minnesota, Oklahoma City, San Antonio uh, in their near sights. Cleveland coming up at the beginning of the month. You you go back to Miles Turner. You're with the team right now. Mark Boyle was saying he talked to him on Saturday afternoon, and basically Miles felt like he was doing better, but uh, noises were the thing that everybody, you know, a concussion's different for everybody. Sometimes it's light, sometimes it's noises, sometimes it's both, sometimes it's neither, but that the lights weren't really bothering him. The noises were kind of affecting him and uh, that he was doing better. But still, you know, this is a concussion. And as with any injury that's above the shoulders, I think you take it uh, as cautionary as you can be, especially with a player who's young and as talented as Miles. Have you noticed anything being around him, being around the team the last couple of days? You know, I didn't even know on Friday night that he was with the team. I kind of thought he would have stayed back, but he was with the team uh, on Saturday in Miami, and he's with the team at practice today. But we'll have to wait until Nate addresses the media after practice to get any indication. But you said you have to be extremely cautious. It's not really even a team decision. It's a There's a protocol in place, and you have to pass certain steps. And when you pass those steps, uh, you'll be ready. But it's not something you can pass in an hour. You can't go in and take a test and say, I'm all good to go. So... Uh, we'll have to see. Uh, I think it does benefit the Pacers that after Wednesday they've got a few days off before that game against San Antonio, um, and, and we'll see what happens. But I think you're going to have to get a heavy dose of uh, DeMontis Sabonis again this week. And, and really, Pat, I mean, how impressive was the performance you saw from Domas on Saturday? Yeah, without a doubt. I was going to bring that same thing up. Domas and Victor looked tremendous on Saturday. Oladipo finishing with 28, Sabonis 18 and 12. And you know, when this trade happened, obviously um, it was an extremely tough situation the Pacers were put in. The one thing I always felt like, and you know, again, it's just three games, but I felt like people were sleeping on Domas a little bit. And I think th- there were two parts to that. One, he was a rookie. He wasn't a top three or four pick. Um, two, everybody here knows what Oladipo was, so I think naturally he garnered a little bit more of that spotlight. But all it took was watching a little bit of Domas last year, what he did in college, um, you know, hearing that how much our, our scouts liked him and our management liked him, and then watching him a little bit in training camp, and you realize this guy's going to be really tough. He's so well-rounded. You know, in some ways, he, he compares to me kind of to a Jeff Foster with, with you know, more basketball skills, um, the ability to step out, hit the three-point shot, hit you know the long two if he needs to and then he and then he's such a battler in the post 12 uh, 12 rebounds to go along um, with those 18 points and I thought he was he was vital in that comeback he's been extremely efficient was seven of seven on opening night six of ten in uh, his most recent game and 
We talked about it in on Pacers Weekly and on various different sources, but I think he's going to be the guy that easily gains the most fans from a Pacers perspective at the start of the year where he was from. And I think he's showing, you know, Miles Turner is this team's starting center, but I think he's showing he is a starting caliber player. And that'll be what's interesting to me is is when Turner comes back, you know, can you get Sabonis 30 or so minutes a game or close to that coming off the bench? Because I think he's shown, even in just three games, he deserves that. But Thaddeus Young, we know what he is, and he's playing well also. It's a good problem to have, but you've got three, uh, three bigs that I think are all showing that they're worthy of starters-level minutes. Yeah, it's almost similar, I think, to I think we may have discussed on Pacers Weekly on Saturday or in a previous discussion with that guard rotation with Corey Joseph and Victor Oladipo and Darren Collison. And, and we're almost saying at times Lance Stevenson may be playing a little bit of the three um, in situations, but you can maybe play if those three players I mentioned in the two spots and you get them all enough minutes and you can almost say after halftime you do the same thing with Thaddeus Young, Demonte Sabonis, and Miles Turner to where each of those guys is going to be on the floor and whichever combination seems to be working against that particular opponent you play more, but the way I watched Sabonis help bring that team back against Miami, you had to think, well, if Miles was playing, you wouldn't be taking Tomas off the floor. Right, right. And, uh, you know, the good thing about that is Young, if it if that's the situation and that's what's going on at that particular time, I don't think he will be someone who would argue. He would understand and accept that's what's going on. So um, the the first message before training camp was competition and you got to earn you've got to earn your playing time and so um you know friday maybe wasn't sabonis's best game and he's just uh 21 years old and he's still learning as well so he's not going to be perfect every game uh, but when he's playing like he did against miami and really even how he did on wednesday night against brooklyn you're going to make sure he has minutes so 30 minutes maybe more than he would need to play but given the circumstances he played well and i look forward to seeing uh, what he does the rest of this week and there was an interesting tidbit at the very end of, I think, Friday night's um, press conference before the game with Nate McMillan, where he mentioned Al Jefferson not getting playing time and whether he was frustrated with that, and that he told him, you know, if if he were behind guys that he didn't feel like could play, he'd be really frustrated, but that Jefferson acknowledges, you know, that the guys in front of him all can really play, and it's tough to be, you know, frustrated if you don't get playing time. He is getting playing time right now because of injury, but for Jefferson, a player who's been in the league for 14 years, you know, to acknowledge there's a lot of good players in front of me, and it's tough for me to be too frustrated that I'm not getting playing time, and I think, uh, you know, we know Jefferson's personality and all of that and how that fits into it, but I found that interesting. Uh, David Benner is not at the McDonald's with you, right? <laughs> because he actually just tweeted out, we were just talking about this, not tweeted out, he just sent out. Uh, information on uh, the injury report, which we were just asking, and Miles Turner uh, with that sore neck and concussion is out. So we'll look forward at those games a little bit later in this podcast, but uh, we do know the Pacers will have to do the Minnesota game at minimum. It'll be three in a row without Miles Turner. And for me, you know, and, and I'm a huge fan of Sabonis, the one area where I, th- I think the, is the big difference between the two is rim protection. I don't think Miles is quite to the level of where he'll end up being uh, as a 26, 27, 28-year-old in the heart of his prime. That's the one area where uh, where Miles is, is, I think, a step above Domas is his rim protection. And I, I think you notice that a little bit when guys are getting into the lane and, and you have Sabonis in there, a really quality, well-rounded player that is a I think deserving to be a starter in this league, even at year two. Um, but but Miles' ability to alter shots at the rim, I think, has certainly been missed the first couple of games. Absolutely, and that's one of the things that I know in our first two games, the A.E. Gill was referencing, and really, 
you could say though it starts with the guards because sometimes maybe if Miles is back there, you have a false sense of security that he's going to help you out a little bit. And now maybe the guards need to put more emphasis on keeping their man out of the paint. And that's what we've seen in the first week is it's just been too easy for the opposing backcourts to get inside. And when you can drive the ball and get into the paint, so many things can happen. I mean, usually you drive in and if no one's there, you drive to the basket. If you get help, then you can kick it out for three. And I think that's really where everything has to start with this defense. It helps when Miles is there, but when he's not there, I mean, it's that much more pressure on those guards to keep opposing players out of the paint. And you'll see on Tuesday night, I mean, we know from experience, Jeff Teague is someone that will like to attack the basket. He wants to get into the paint. So the onus is now on Darren Collison, Victor Oladipo, Lance Stevenson, Corey Joseph. Keep those guys in front of you. And and that's where in this league with the three-point shooting as well, it's always difficult do you overplay and prevent the three-point shot, or do you, and then you risk maybe getting beat to the paint? So there's no easy answer. It's a little bit of a work in progress, and I know Dan Burke, he doesn't have any hair left <laughs> for the most part, but I know at times he, I look over when there's a, a breakdown defensively, and he's reaching maybe to pull some out. So uh, they will continue to work and try to fine-tune that, but to your original point, Miles Turner is a presence in the paint, and, and the Pacers will miss him for as long as he's out. All right, let's take a look now at our pick three. And uh, after debating what we should do, I, I always try to not put too much emphasis on this early part of the season. You know, you'll hear from Quinn or Slick, and they'll talk about, you know, you want to get 20, 25 games in before you start to come to conclusions. That said, we're only three games into the NBA season, and it's already been not even a, I guess today would be a, a full week of games once tonight is gone. Um, but there's already been, uh, I think, a handful of pretty significant surprises. So we'll do NBA surprises. We're just one week in, uh, but three things that have shocked us, and I'll let you start. Well, you know, I think that every year you could go back and look at the first week and see some surprising results and see some things that make you shake your head a little bit. And and Quinn has referenced on the broadcast the importance of a team in their home opener, how fired up they are, and how well teams usually play in their home opener. But if you just look at the Western Conference, take your top eight, and look who's not in the top eight right now. No Oklahoma City, no Golden State. Now, am I saying that this is going to uh, form a hold, or are there any reason to think that Golden State won't be a one seed? Or I mean, I'm going to say a one seed. I mean, maybe you could say a one or a two seed. I would be shocked if they're not the one seed, but... To lose two of their first three games is surprising. To see a team like Memphis, who, you know, every year I think you underestimate Memphis a little bit. You look at their roster and say, eh, maybe they're a seven or eight seed, and or maybe they're going to miss the playoffs this year. But they've gotten off to a spectacular start. Continuity is something that we have found or we have seen around the league is, is very important. Teams that have been together and know each other. You saw Portland on Friday night. They're virtually the exact same team from a year ago. Uh, teams with continuity play well. Now, Golden State has continuity as well, but I thought it was interesting. I was watching one of the preview shows on NBA TV uh, last week before the season opener, and I, Steve Kerr was doing an interview, and I almost look forward to having him clarify this, even though we, don't, we won't see Golden State till March or April, so at that point it'll be a non-story, but he said he told the players he did not want to see them in the facility until media day. He said after the season ended, get away, go do your thing, come back media day, and I'm not sure that I've ever heard a coach say that because so many teams rave on rave about how their guys came in and gotten work done in the summer, and based on what I heard and how I understood his comment to be, he didn't want anybody around, so maybe that leads a little bit to 
what they are experiencing to start the season and their trip, I think, to China as well. So uh, no overreaction, but if you're going to ask me about a surprise in week one, it would be seeing two losses for both the Thunder and the Warriors. For me, mine is going to be the unfortunate injuries we've seen here that have affected even just the first week of the season. And I think Gordon Hayward obviously head, headlines that and with a you know, horrific-looking injury to go along with something that's almost assuredly going to keep him out for the year, a player who you know, had all the headlines in the NBA offseason and then played five minutes uh, of this NBA season, I know is, is really frustrating. You really feel for him. Um, you know, the Celtics who had planned around him, you, you try not to feel too bad for the Celtics, but just in general for that fan base, uh, that's, that's a tough loss for him. But it's not just been him. You know, Kawhi Leonard got hurt, um, you know, previously, and, and he hasn't played yet. We saw Jeremy Lin go down uh, for the season in our opener. Chris Paul out maybe here for a month. Miles Turner, Hassan Whiteside to go along with. And unfortunately, you've seen a lot of the NBA's uh, better players either injured in this first week or have an injury that affects them um, for missing this first week. And there's, I mean, there's there's many more down this list of players. Uh, both the Morris twins, for example, are out. Uh, Schroeder got hurt uh, the other night. You know, the Chicago Bulls, I guess a self-inflicted wound, if you will, with what happened between Portis and Miritich there. That was wild. So it's things you know, you never like to see. And I know that's so cliche with an injury, but the NBA at its at its best is so good. And at its best, Gordon Hayward, Miles Turner, you know, hopefully Miles is a short-term thing here. Hassan Whiteside, Jeremy Lin, uh, some of these guys, uh, obviously Kawhi Leonard, you want to see these guys playing, and unfortunately, I, th- I think we've seen more than our fair share of injuries for week number one, and hopefully that subsides, and some of these players who have lesser injuries, hopefully, like a Miles Turner, a Son Whiteside, are in here for a majority of the season, because Miles only missed a game last year, and he's going to miss at least three of his first four this season, and you know that's frustrating for a player like him who's trying to take over a bigger leadership role and to not be on the floor for these first uh, handful of games after the opener. You and I know Miles well enough that that's, that's got to be really frustrating him to not be able to you know play a part in a game that was down to the wire in Miami, and maybe you know a, a couple plays from Miles could have been the difference. But nonetheless, a player like him, you got to get healthy, you got to make sure uh, he passes all of his concussion protocol, and and you don't want to push, you know, somebody who's 21 years old and you view as the face of your franchise going forward. But in week one, we've seen uh, plenty of injuries here so far. Yeah, I wish I could say it's surprising. I think the number of injuries is surprising. But uh, with what we've seen around the NBA in the last couple of years, I mean, injuries are a big part of the game. And you've seen it maybe as teams, players wear down a little bit and more injuries happen. So you'd like to think that you didn't have that many injuries in the first week of the season. And some of them are fluke injuries as well. So Definitely surprising and not surprising in a good way. As we go for our combo pick on the pick three, uh, we discussed, I'll let you share the pick, but I'm going to make an honorable mention as I was just searching around NBA.com slash stats and I was trying to find some of the Pacers uh, team analytic numbers in terms of pace and rating, but I, I stopped on one before that and I think this is an honorable mention. We'll say surprising. It's a short sample size, small sample size. Individual defensive rating. You you care to take a guess on who has the best defensive rating in the NBA through the opening week? <laughs> um, and, I, and I'll clarify this. I don't mean this in a personal way at all because this person might be my favorite player in the NBA, but I don't think of him as a defensive stopper. Who? C.J. Miles. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I was he's trying act- to think of players on the Pacers, and yeah. Uh, but the Pacers have struggled on the defensive end. So CJ Miles, wow, and he, he opened has the up his career best. in Toronto, four or four from the three point line. So yeah. he's he's ready to go out there. He has the seventh best offensive rating as well. His net rating is uh, second best in the NBA. So and he, <laughs> it, and this isn't one of those stats where someone plays two minutes successfully and then they all right. of a sudden get up there. I mean, he's coming off the bench, but uh, worth watching. And the Pacers will will be in Toronto. Uh, in about a month or so, so it'll be interesting to see how he's doing. But our group pick, it's, it's very surprising. I think you would agree, Pat, to see a coaching change in one week. Yeah, not just a coaching change, but the way it came out, too. I mean, you had uh, Bledsoe tweeting, I don't want to be here, but he tweeted that before the announcement, which my guess, I don't know if, if there's been any confirmation of this, my guess is he heard before it came out and then made his comment before it actually became news that Watson was fired. And, you know, obviously we don't know a lot of the things that go behind the scenes there. And we've seen good coaches fired before because they don't get along with management. Um, and, and obviously the Suns have struggled. But what, what doesn't follow to me, three games in to the season, you've seen something that has changed your mind. If, you know, if you didn't like him, why didn't you make the move in the offseason, give yourself a chance to hire somebody fresh, somebody new? You know, that's so difficult to do three games in. Are you, are you going to hire have an interim for, for 79 games? Is the guy you want sitting on the sidelines right now? That's that's really confusing to me, and I know some thought of Earl Watson as an up-and-coming coach, and I don't think necessarily you know, one potentially failed stop, depending on how you want to analyze it, uh, would make a difference. But the new, whatever happens now is extremely interesting because you have your best player, Eric Bledsoe, now saying he doesn't want to be a part of that, and he's made that public on Twitter. So, you know, the Suns are really, really young, and I don't think anybody had them making the playoffs this year, but uh, the, the way this season has started for them, um, I, I don't really think it could have could have been much worse when you consider they were down almost 60 points in the opener, which, look, I know that's embarrassing, but is that really, you're going to fire a coach because of one game in the NBA? That doesn't really make sense to me. So um, I don't know the story there, but, but extremely surprising to have a team three games in, get rid of their coach, and have their best players saying he wants out. I don't think anyone saw that coming. And just seeing Chris Haynes on Twitter posts that Eric Bledsoe met with the team this morning before shoot-around, and he was sent home. He will not play tonight against Sacramento but just to follow up I mean did anybody in Phoenix think that was a playoff team they would not have been a playoff team in the Eastern Conference or the Western Conference but they are out west so what did you really expect and the other thing that I would say is I always hate when there's a reaction based on something that could have easily gone another direction and I'll go back to uh, Indiana football from years ago when when they fired Bill Lynch and if you think back to that season I think it was DeMarlo Belcher dropped a pass against Iowa Yep. And if he catches that pass, they go to a bowl game in two out of three seasons when they had not been to a bowl game in the previous 13. And so would they have fired the coach then if, uh, you know, they go to that bowl game? And the same thing with the Suns. I mean, they lost to the Lakers by one. If they're one and two instead of 0 oh and three, are they firing Earl Watson? I'm probably not, actually. So one more basket is the difference in someone being fired or keeping their job. I think those knee-jerk reactions are... A little bit ridiculous, but I think there are probably bigger issues that we don't even know about going on in Phoenix. All right, we've uh, we've had the opportunity to look back. You ready to you ready to start moving forward here? Yeah, you know the Pacers will play the San Antonio Spurs on Sunday. It's interesting. In the first four days of the NBA season, the Pacers had three games, and then on the next seven days, just two games. So it's a back to back at Minnesota and then at OKC. The next chance to see the Pacers at home will be Sunday taking on the San Antonio Spurs. And for more, I know Pat had a chance to catch up with Dean Hevelin 
VP of Game Operations about the in-arena experience at Bankers Live Fieldhouse. Specifically, some of you have had questions about the new LED lighting. Yeah, thanks, Jeremiah. I'm here with Dean Havilland, who's the Vice President of Game Operations for the Indiana Pacers. He just had his 23rd opening night with the organization. You've got a, a job that's really interesting to me because I think the product of what you do, the fans see, but they don't always know about the process that gets you there. I want to start a little more generally. What's game day like for you and your group? Great. So game day starts for us really three months prior to game day. We look into each game to figure out what we're gonna do from start to finish. So from the time, you know, the doors open to the time the game ends. So it's looking at everything from your LEDs, your giveaways, your music, your lights, your pacemates, your dancers, your mascot, the halftime shows, everything. So we're, we look at everything. And we plan, you know, once the schedule comes out in the summer, that's when our planning actually begins. So we try and come up with our entire plan for the whole season. A month out from the game, we actually start looking at each individual game then and figure out how we're going to work on that game, what we're going to do as far as sponsorship elements, entertainment elements, um, halftime elements. And then we go every week, we'll go up to it, up to it, just kind of working on it to make sure by the time we get to the game, it's ready to go and the planning is all set. Then on a game day, our, re on a game day, our rehearsals are going to start down on the court about 2 p.m. We go through all of our LEDs and make sure all our LEDs are going to work. We make sure all the music we're going to work for the day is going to work. Um, the videos and all our performers. Um, just kind of going through rehearsing everything all the way up until doors open. And it's it's a pretty new experience this year for fans. The players are wearing new uniforms. Uh, there's a different voice booming throughout the field house. We'll touch on that in a little bit. I want to let's start with the lights though, because I think that's the one thing the fans have noticed that has been the most different maybe from previous seasons. Uh, first of all, what spurred I, I guess the decision and the discussion to put in this new system you guys are debuting? So it's kind of twofold. The lights that were in the arena were the original lights that we had um, since we opened back in 1999. So for a couple things, one. Um, just the new technology of the lights. It could be changed um, by putting in the LED sport light package. First off, it's going to save money um, for one thing, but two, it also allows a better entertainment um, overall process for us. There's multiple things that we can do with the lights um, as far as, you know, the on and off, the dimming, the taking the different colors of them. And it's, it's a new technology. It's a new technology for us. The process is still evolving. Um, you know, as we talked about, there was a little bit of difference from the preseason game to opening night game. Mm -hmm. We're still trying to make the lights be in the best position that they're going to be, you know, first for the fan experience, for the team experience, for the television experience. You know, we're, we're going to keep tweaking. It's going to be a learning experience for us as we go to find the best overall um, process, I guess, the product for, for the lights. And you mentioned it is customizable, and I know I saw some fans on Twitter saying, you know, it seemed just a little bit different from preseason game to regular season game number one, and that's something that you can adjust throughout the season and find, I guess, that, that perfect medium. But in general, what has been your takeaway here of the theater-style lighting? Is that a correct yes, way to phrase it? Yes, yeah, exactly. So th the biggest part is, you know, the court the court should be bright. You know, we the, the court, that's that's our stage. That's our theater. We want that, you know, to be the main focus. And, you know, then it's up from up there, you know, you, you look at Brooklyn, you look at Madison Square Garden, you look at Staples Center. 
from there, they're they're very dark in their stands. You know, and we don't want to necessarily go that dark in our stands, but it is nice to have a gradual decrease in the lighting from the from the court being bright as can be, all the way to get up to the balcony, maybe a little bit darker. Um, but one of the f things we realized and we tweaked is our players like to see the fans, mm -hmm. and so you know our first preseason game we may have been a little too dark, um, so we we did lighten it up a little bit so our fans or our players can see the fans. They like to see the energy. They like to see the fans' faces and the support they give them throughout the throughout the game. So that was part of the reason of it being a little bit brighter, but still not as bright as it where it was last year. But still potentially, it's it's a work in progress. If they're at preseason, the preseason home game, home game number one, that might be something that you adjust, tweak throughout the season, throughout future seasons. It is, and yeah, it is an evolving process that we'll be able to change. Um, the Friday night, so tomorrow night's game, will be the same as we did on Wednesday. Right. And, and the NBA me makes us have a, um, a lighting on the court that has to be the same. So that can't change. But then we can adjust some of the other lights. So as long as we meet the specifications from the NBA, then we can tweak some of the other parts. I think part of what makes that effect work so well, too, is the court, just the wood, is a little bit lighter. And so when you have more focus on a, a lighter court, I think that helped uh, amplify that effect as well. 100%. And with, with the bright lights on the light-colored court it it really pops and especially on television um you can really see the difference here in the arena you can really see the difference but it's it, it's just so much brighter and it really makes it look more like a stage than what we've ever had before as if you haven't been busy enough with your regular duties and with that you have a, a new pa voice coming in first of all it's interesting game number one already grady's back here yeah, the the irony in that, and it was I got to have a good conversation with Michael. We, you know, we loved Michael. Michael was a great part of our our show, our part of our game presentation, and you know he came to me this fall and told me about the opportunity he had with with the Yes Network, and you know doing some work with the Brooklyn Nets, and then in the off season we'll get to do some work with the Yankees, and you know we loved Michael here and having him here, but you couldn't you know you couldn't blame him for taking one of his dream jobs, and you know I'm I'm really happy for him and getting a chance to go out there, and we talked last night about it. It was, it, it couldn't have been better for him for his first game, you know, cause he, he was nervous last night, but to come back here, to come back home to him and, you know, be part of our show and, and, and see the game here too. We'll talk a little bit about Jerry Baker in a moment. Obviously when you lose somebody like Michael, it's not easy, but the ability to, to put someone in his shoes that I think the fans are so well known and is so well known around this state, but let's get into the process. What's it like when you have, I was watching the YouTube videos of, of all of the people you had in, and then there was a, a finalist where you had people in the actual building and then narrowing it down. Jerry, obviously I think his resume stands out, but this was a, a pretty intensive process. Right, and we, we had no idea what to expect. Um, we did an online application thing. We had right around 100 applicants that sent in videos um, to come in, and we were actually surprised that Jerry Baker was one of them. We, you know, didn't didn't know that he would have interest in coming back. It was nice to see his name, but in in addition to Jerry, you know, a lot of well-known people that um, were very qualified applied also. So we took the hundred, narrowed that down to about 15, and brought them in for live auditions and ran them through the gamut of a game night from introductions to announcements to calls that they'll have to make. And, you know, we got some great, great people come in and, and try out. But at the, you know, when it all was said and done, it was hard to pass up on, on Jerry Baker. You know, he was the original radio voice of the Pacers, the original TV voice of the Pacers. He came back in the 90s. You know, you, you think about the great plays in the Pacers past. And, you know, one of the big ones, Byron Scott hitting the, the three-pointer in Orlando to, you know, give the Pacers that first 
first playoff win in the 90s on their run and you know it's Jerry Baker's call that you're hearing and it's you, it was hard to turn turn your back when when Jerry Baker wanted the job it was hard not to take him part of my role is working over in digital with the social media team and it's interesting because whenever the Pacers or, or any team for that matter does something different it's almost always met with varying degrees of positive or negative and what I found interesting about Jerry Baker is you didn't find any negative. It was as overwhelmingly positive as I think anything that I've seen in my four years here. And as as difficult as it is to lose somebody who is as talented as Michael Grady was, I mean, this is, uh, it seems like a, a, a really fantastic and positive move going forward. Yeah, I, I totally agree. We were very lucky with Jerry Baker and with his interest in the job and, and having him come out and and be a part of our game presentation and it was it was surprising because you're exactly right we were waiting for all the negatives and we really didn't receive any and yeah. you know it's you know he's had his first couple games he had his first preseason game and he had his first regular season game last night and and he admitted you know he was nervous and you know he keeps saying he's going to get better and i i guarantee he'll get better and the fans are really going to enjoy having him around and just that legendary voice here and it's it's going to really help us i've had the opportunity to work a fever pa game kind of side by side with you and and just experience how much goes into what ultimately ends up being such a flawless product for the fans and, and everything that goes around the game which you have such a big hand in 23 years you've gotten some experience doing this but what's the key to making all this hectic stuff happening behind the scenes end up so flawless yeah i would the, the couple keys um first you got to love what you do and you know I'm, I sit courtside for an NBA game I'm one of 30 people in the world that get to do that so you know it's it's an amazing job and and I know that going in so I'm very passionate about it um, second is while you love it you have to have you have fun while you do it you make it a fun atmosphere you make it where people want to work with you and um, you know do their best to put on the show together and you know I've got a great team of people that I work with that everybody works together they work hard and you know they they know by you know they can't control the outcome of the game but you have 18,000 fans in the building and they're working on giving them a good experience you know a good escape from reality to come here watch an NBA game be entertained and and have fun and just just enjoy themselves in what ways has this job and your line of work changed over those 23 years it's changed but it hasn't changed mm -hmm. um, you know it's back at Market Square you know we didn't have a 50-foot video board and we didn't have you know social networks that we were interacting with fans live during the game to see what they wanted to see what they wanted to hear see their pictures on the video board you know so some of the technology has changed but the fans really still haven't changed um, the fans know their basketball and the fans love their basketball and they want you know all the entertainment is great but at the end of the game they want to see they want to see basketball so you know it's finding ways to you know you give them as much information as you can you give them you know the show them as much video as you can show them as much replay show them as much stats you know the fans love to know all their stats here at the game so it's it's finding out all those information and and just yeah just doing the best that you can for it Dean Heveland is the Vice President of Game Operations here with the Indiana Pacers. You've had so much going on leading into this season, and I know your job stays so busy during the season, but appreciate your insights here on the Sideline Guys podcast. Perfect. Thank you very much. Yeah, and I think I think Dean has uh, one of the most interesting jobs here because everyone is – you feel what Dean and his crew do so much during the game, but it's so uh, easy to bypass how difficult that is to put together and, and all of the things that go around besides the literal on-court product. 
Um, that's Dean. That's his group. Dean's been here a very long time. And uh, y- you talk about a guy being busy. We'd see how busy he is, and all of us are, during the season. Um, but he had he had a, a completely new LED light system coming in, and he had, you know, with not a ton of warning, to find a new public address announcer, which, of course, is, is Jerry Baker. And I think uh, considering... Uh, all the obstacles that went with that, I think both having Jerry, the new light system, I, I think that crew is obviously doing a really nice job. Yeah, I mean, Bankers Life Fieldhouse, we've discussed this on this podcast with 30 arenas around the NBA. Um, to me, it's second to none, and it's a testament to not just the facility, but those inside the facility that the game experience can be so good for a building that was opened in 1999. And I know Herb Simon referenced uh even last week with us on Fox Sports Indiana, changes to the in-arena experience are coming, but I like to see some of the changes with the lighting, and it, I think Jerry Baker, it's good to hear his voice once again. So it's a little mix of the new and a little mix of the old, and um, looking forward to that game Sunday against the Spurs, which, Pat, I think will be interesting as we discuss this game on Monday at the beginning of the week. It'll be interesting to see if Kawhi Leonard will be uh, in uniform. Right, and that's uh, that seems like right around perhaps when – he might be ready to go. It's they've been, you know, keeping things a little bit under wraps there. He's expected to be out, according uh, to CBS, until at least October 25. That game against San Antonio, as you noted, is October 29. So there's a there's a chance that that is the first game that he would play in. And I think if that's the case, the Pacers still catch a break in that regard um, because he probably won't be playing 36 minutes and maybe not starting. But who knows? Uh, San Antonio, if he's out at least through the 25th. Um, they've only got one more game between the 25th and the Pacers. They play on Friday the 27th at Orlando. So it's possible Kawhi Leonard's first game this season is against Indiana, but the Pacers still probably catch a bit, a bit of a break with him. You're in Minneapolis right now. The two most interesting teams in the league for me to follow this year are and were the Timberwolves and the Thunder because so much has changed, but there's so much star power there. But at the same point, there's some me- a lot of meshing that has to go on. We've seen, you know, Butler in the first couple of games, while Minnesota has looked good, Butler hasn't quite been the Jimmy Butler we're used to. And I think that's to be expected. That'll take some time. It was it was weird. I, I know uh, we were watching this in, in kind of live texting throughout the game. It was weird watching this early in the season. Uh, Butler and George kind of go at it last night on Minnesota and Oklahoma City. That was kind of jarring. And to see those two playing each other just a couple of games in kind of makes you realize how much everything has changed in the NBA that includes the Pacers over the last six months. What was crazy watching that game and thinking back to the Paul George-Jimmy Butler matchups in recent years, Pacers and Bulls, is that you know, I'm not going to say invisible because that's too strong of a word and you look at the box score and they both had you know a significant amount of shots and points. But in the fourth quarter, I felt like that they were both – at best, third options. I mean, it it was like Jimmy Butler and Paul George were almost decoys, and, uh, you know, both were able to make an impact defensively as well, although Paul didn't really uh, make the impact he was hoping for defensively on on the final play. But I thought Westbrook, from the part of the game that I saw, until maybe midway through the fourth quarter, was getting everyone involved and was trying to make sure everyone got some shots. But when they were trying to come back, I mean, it was it was just like you saw last year. I mean, he made the pass to Carmelo for the shot to take the lead, but for the most part, it was a lot of clear out and Russell making plays and knocking down long threes and driving, and, and PG was kind of over in the corner. So I'll be interested. I mean, like you said, they're fascinating to watch, and specifically with Minnesota, I mean, it was 
Towns and Wiggins. I mean, it was their team on down the stretch, and, and Jeff Teague had probably his best game of the three with the Timberwolves as well. But I, was, I almost had to remind myself that Jimmy Butler's on the floor as well. So uh, I, it'll be fascinating to watch those two stars in their new environments and to see if they can you know, move themselves up the pecking order on their own roster a little bit. And, uh, and what's interesting, those teams the Pacers play this week, they played on Sunday, and they also play again on Friday. So Friday, the Timberwolves host Oklahoma City. Um, before that, though, they've got the Pacers Tuesday, and they're at Detroit on Wednesday. Um, just human nature, you'd think that Minnesota coming off a win against the Jazz, a win at Oklahoma City, they had a season-opening game against the Spurs that they lost, but You'd think maybe that Tuesday or Wednesday, Pacers or Pistons, one of those would be the classic letdown game for the Timberwolves. So maybe that plays into the Pacers' advantage on Tuesday. And I think that it shapes up for a very, very intriguing, very important game. And then you'll have an angry Thunder squad on Wednesday waiting. They don't play a game between last night's loss and Wednesday. In Minnesota, considering they're a new team and probably would have preferred an easier schedule to start things off as they try to gel, at San Antonio versus Utah and at Oklahoma City for their first three games, and to their credit, they're 2-1, and one, uh, and they kind of came back in that Utah game as well to come back and win, and we saw what happened last night with, uh, with Andrew Wiggins. So Minnesota is a team, Oklahoma City is a team, they're trying to adjust, they're trying to figure it out with all of this talent and where the ball goes around, but... Uh, they're two and one, and off to a nice start. And, and you touched on Jeff Teague, it, it, the Pacers here. And from last year, the Pacers returned two starters from the previous year's team, and they're going to play two starters coming up in their next two games. Jeff Teague, and uh, and then Paul George on Wednesday. And for the for Indiana, it seems like maybe it's a little bit of an advantage getting these teams earlier in the season before they've totally figured it out. Paul probably likes the fact that he gets to play Indiana for the first time in his building and doesn't have to come here for that first game. But nonetheless, um, you know, it, it would be burying the lead to not, uh, you know, recognize that this game against Oklahoma City will be Paul George's first against Indiana, and it comes just barely a week into the season. Yeah, and it's not an ideal circumstance for the Pacers, given that it's the second half of the back-to-back, given that Oklahoma City will be rested, they will be angry, and... You know, with Miles Turner not playing Tuesday and no idea whether he'll be ready to go on Wednesday, there's a, at least a better than 50-50 chance, I'd say, that he's not a, able to play on Wednesday. So it's getting loud inside this McDonald's, as you can <laughs> yeah, tell. Now, maybe that's just a sign that we should uh, uh, was, table some of this Paul George retro discussion for the I moment. Was, I was about to ask if they're tired of hearing about uh, Pacers <laughs> basketball, and so they started banging trays or something in there, but yeah. <laughs> it was getting kind of loud. You meant you didn't even mention the uh, Aaron Brooks reunion game also tomorrow. Oh yeah, yeah, the Aaron Bro- <laughs> that is that is I think what is on everybody's head as, as we get ready to play these games is, is the, the the Aaron Brooks reunion. Uh, all right, well, hey, we appreciate you uh, you trying to find a place somewhere in Minneapolis to get this done. And hey, if it's a McDonald's, it's a McDonald's. But if uh, if you didn't think there was dedication to this podcast before, I think you have exemplified that here today. Yay, always happy to do it and looking forward to another good season of uh, the Sideline Guys podcast. All right, that'll wrap it up for this week's Sideline Guys. Pacers at Minnesota on Tuesday, Oklahoma City on Wednesday. Those are 8 o'clock tips 
here Eastern time. You can catch Jeremiah at 7.30 on the TV with pregame. We'll have it on the radio as well starting at 7.30. Your next chance to be at the Fieldhouse. Sunday against San Antonio, 4.30, so a little bit easier uh, with the workday tomorrow or the following day uh, to get in there and catch that game against San Antonio. And then if you don't have Halloween plans, or even if you do, we'd love to have you at the Fieldhouse Tuesday, October 31 against Sacramento. Pacers.com slash tickets is how you can be there. We will talk to you next week on the Sideline Guys podcast.